Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body here at Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew, and I am joined today by... Chase. And... Ryan. Excellent. And the three of us are going to uh, continue our discussion of the church ordinances. Uh, Last week, we discussed Lord's Supper, and we got it a little bit out of order because typically baptism would happen before you take part in the Lord's table. Um, And it did in the life of our church in the last couple of weeks. That's right. Baptism, then Lord's Supper. That's right. But we got a question about Lord's Supper. That's right. So we thought we'll answer that first. We want to honor that question. What's next? Baptism. And so we thought a part of the series would be (laughs) baptism. Yeah. We've got quite a trio going on here. This is uh, this is great. So uh, we want to look at uh, specifically the ordinance or sacrament of baptism, what it is, who it's for, um, how it takes place, uh, what it means for the person being baptized, what it means for the church. Um, so Chase, Ryan, going to help us think through this. Uh, so first, how does baptism relate to the Lord's Supper? Yeah, so we... Already used the word ordinance or sacrament. We talked about that a lot in the podcast last week. But baptism is the other of the two ordinances, which means it was something commanded by Jesus for the church to do, um, kind of a, a rite or a ceremony, you could say, that um, really what distinguishes it from other things that Jesus commanded us to do is it's a rite that involves a, a physical symbol that is imbued with spiritual significance or some kind of truth that's communicated that um, through the process of participating in that rite with those physical elements, we are led to meditate on and reflect on truths of the gospel in a, a really special way. You said last week, Drew, that it's uh, baptism's like the front door mm-hmm. and the Lord's Supper is like the dining room table. Yeah. One is uh, initial, the other one's ongoing. Yeah, or I've heard somebody refer to baptism as kind of the initiation ceremony into the life of the church, and, and it happens once, once you're in, you're in, and then after that is just this regular participating in the Lord's Supper until you die. Yeah, yeah, which also uh, reminds us that it's a public demonstration of, uh, or a declaration rather, a public declaration of what this person has come to believe and put their hope in. They're identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection. For those listening that maybe have never been to a baptism service or uh, wouldn't know, in the most basic terms, what is baptism? Well, baptism is the identification and public declaration that one uh, is tied to Jesus Christ and specifically his death and resurrection. That's why the mode of going under the water and coming up out of it is so significant. It's a portrayal of his death and resurrection and also a portrayal of um, the individual's spiritual death and resurrection. There's a death to an old man and a resurrection to a new man, according to passages like Romans 6. Yes, yeah. The word baptism is a transliteration almost of a Greek word, baptizo. Uh, so when you read the Bible in Greek, you're going to see that word, baptizo. And that word means to like dip into immerse, something, yeah. immerse into something. Plunge. So yeah, the uh, the most literal meaning of the word itself is to go all the way under the water. Um, and this comes out of, uh, in in the New Testament, this is something really, right, in the, right at the very beginning of all of the Gospels, you have John the Baptist who is baptizing with a baptism for repentance. So he's preaching a gospel in preparation for the 
kingdom of God to come. And part of this was this baptism. Um, so he was meeting people in the Jordan River and immersing them in water. And even that's got a lot of kind of Jewish background to it with ritual washings and even um, an, an idea of conversion that when... Yeah, the when, proselytes. The proselytes, the yeah. When they would... Gentiles would... Yeah, yeah. When, when a, a, a non-Jewish person would convert into Judaism, that was part of their conversion was they would have this baptism, this ritual washing. Yeah. So John the Baptist right away comes out baptizing. And then it's really interesting that Jesus comes and asks to be baptized by John. John objects to that, right? Like John's like, no, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus's answer is really interesting. This is, this is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is appropriate. Um, and it was in the baptism that Jesus received from John that you get this beautiful picture of the Trinity right there, that, that that's where mm. Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then the voice of the Father from heaven mm. says, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. And it, Jesus is kind of appropriating John's baptism in a way and amplifying it, extending yeah. it, and then goes on at the end of his ministry in Matthew 28, he tells the disciples to go and make disciples and baptize them in that same Trinitarian name. Yeah. So no longer is this John's baptism, this mm -hmm. is the baptism in the Trinity, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in doing that, we're baptized with the same baptism that Jesus was baptized with, that we're baptized in that art that starts to bring out this theme of there is a uniting with Christ that is symbolized and communicated through our baptism. Yeah, Bobby Jameson has a really helpful uh, definition in his little booklet, Understanding Baptism. He says, baptism is a church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water, and a believer's act of publicly committing himself or herself to Christ and to his people thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her from the world. Mm. Um, so a lot of what you guys have both already said. So let's unpack those uh, a little bit more, those elements of that definition. So baptism is a church's act. It's an ordinance given to uh, the church. So yeah, yeah so we're not, that. we're not getting baptized by ourselves. You know, yeah. um, this isn't something that... You do similar, very similar to the Lord's Supper in this way, that we don't take the Lord's Supper by ourselves. We don't view the Lord's Supper as something that's just a, a personal act of kind of emotional devotion. Mm -hmm. Baptism's not that either. It's something that happens in the life of the church. What the church is doing is they're affirming and portraying that that believer has been united by Christ. So there's an important uh, distinction that would, you know, even separate us as a, a tradition in Protestantism from different traditions, that we don't believe that the baptism is uniting that person to Christ. We right. don't believe uh, that the baptism, just like we don't believe that the Lord's Supper in and of itself has uh, any any power to do something apart from faith, that ba baptism is just affirming what has already taken place, that that person has been united with Christ. So it's just it portraying, picturing as they go under the water, that they have been buried with Christ when Christ was buried in the tomb 2,000 years ago. And as Christ was raised from the dead, we have been united by Christ and raised with Christ, and we symbolize that in the water, in coming out of the water. Mm. Yeah, we shouldn't take that for granted. Um, I'm sure there are, well, we know there are traditions, and there are people out there who might think that the water holds some sort of special power, and the water that people are dunked in is just plain old tap water from Albuquerque faucets. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, 
And what's special about it is the uniting to Christ that takes place on a spiritual level and really what has already taken place on a spiritual level. Yeah. Yeah. And some, it's understandable why people can be confused about this because when the Bible, you know, Romans 6 is a great example of this, that Christ, or that Paul says that those of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So Paul seems to be talking about the baptism like it's operative in, in doing that uniting. Um, or, you know, Peter says baptism now saves you. He, he uses that word, but what's happening there in, in all of these instances where Paul talks about the power that baptism seems to have is really more that Paul so closely, or the apostles so closely aligned baptism with faith yeah. that they could talk about them almost like they were synonymous, you know, that, that baptism was such an obvious outcome of one being united to Christ by faith, that yeah. they could use baptism as a shorthand to talk about your yeah. conversion. And hence in Acts, it's repent and be baptized sometimes, yeah. which is sort of standing in the place of faith. There's a microwave process there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Repent, believe, and be baptized, but yeah. it's just hyphenated or shortened down to repent and be baptized. That's right. And so there's two important distinctions in that. One, we can say it's not the baptism that's actually saving. It's the faith that leads to the baptism. But on the other side, the Bible can't conceive of somebody that's put their faith in Jesus, that mm-hmm. has been united to Jesus, and hasn't been baptized it's yeah. very quickly on the on the tail end of that that it's all just part and parcel of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that'd be like a a Christian um, becoming part of a body, but not becoming part of that body somehow, or not entering into union with the body yeah. uh, of Christ. And that's why the the picture of um, it uniting the one to the many uh, that Paul talks about is is so powerful. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit more in in. The, uh, in the sense of who decides who is to be baptized, mm. how does that process work? Um, somebody becomes a believer, um, and then and then they just want to be baptized. We said earlier that you don't just baptize yourself in a bathtub or in the, a pool or a river. Um, there, there's a process to this. So, how does that happen at Desert Springs Church? How does somebody get baptized? Well, there is someone who's leading in baptism in the scriptures, right? So John was a baptizer. Um, Paul and Apollos did some baptizing. Uh, So there's this leadership in baptism that we see as a general rule. Philip uh, baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, the Ethiopian eunuch said, there's water. What prohibits me from being baptized? He asked the question and and uh, Philip was the one who uh, permitted it and led in it because he had a, a greater understanding of faith and could assess whether this man was of faith. Uh, and so the church should sort of have that same sort of uh, leadership role. They should be involved in the process. They're the ones who are publicly affirming with this man or this woman of their identity in Christ. Therefore, they're saying, yeah, the gospel that they say they believe, we believe is the biblical gospel and not some other gospel. And we believe that they believe it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, baptism and church membership really go hand in hand. Yeah. And this is much the same as uh, the way that we view church membership. We there, There's an individual profession aspect that comes with this, that somebody is publicly saying, I do believe in Jesus. But that's not all that it takes. That's not enough. There also needs to be this corporate recognition from the church, like Ryan said, and that yes, you you do believe what we th- say that you should believe, and you are also living in a way, it seems like, 
that expresses that fruit of repentance, you yeah. know, is, is what John the Baptist said to the to the Pharisees when they came to be baptized. He says, you're not, you're not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. So this baptism isn't for you. And that's not something that you can just say, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm bearing the fruit of repentance. That's something that it takes a, a community effort. And baptism is a family thing, you know, just like the Lord's Supper is a family meal. And that makes it all the sweeter. Rather than making it more stringent or hard-nosed, instead, uh, it's the sweeter when the church family is affirming that faith with the baptizee on a public level on a Sunday morning. Absolutely, and that takes it out of the realm of just the subjective, you know. So maybe right when you're converted, you feel so strong and so certain that, yeah, this is this is it, I believe this. But then you're going to have seasons in your life where you doubt and if it's only up to you and it's only up to how you're feeling about it, then you're going to be so tossed around. But be, the fact that it's a church that can come beside you and say, no, brother, no, sister, we saw this in you, we believe this in you, we affirm this in you, and we still affirm this in you. Yeah. That can be such a huge encouragement to somebody that's doubting because you're not. it's not just up to you. That's right. Yeah, I think of baptism is a powerful proclamation of the gospel. Uh in one sense, it's a proclamation from the one that's getting baptized to the church and to the world to say, I no longer identify as that old person. I'm now a new person in Christ, and I identify with Christ and with his people. And in uh, the early church, that would have really meant something to make this public display of, I'm, I'm no longer who I used to be. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. identify with these Christians. Yeah, it's risky. That, that was really risky. That cost something. And and it still does for people today. We think of yeah, believers in North Africa or China. and uh, yeah. yeah, it's the baptism that's the point where the persecution often starts yeah. for a convert in yeah. another yeah. culture. So it's that public pro- proclamation, but it's also a uh, proclamation to us as believers uh, to to remember the gospel, to remember our mm-hmm. baptism, to remember what binds us all together. Right. Uh, every one of our baptism services is just one of the most moving times for me. It's it's just like seeing uh, seeing the story of the gospel a- yeah. again displayed in a powerful and in a tangible, visceral way, like we talked about with the Lord's Supper. Yeah, right. they, both they actually to us. they actually get wet. They yeah. actually go under water. It just to symbolize that they are actually washed in the blood of Jesus, and it's, yeah, it's just an incredible, uh, powerful sign. So like a, like a good song does and carries that truth to us and, and, and stirs up affection for Christ, um, yeah, a, a baptism is, is a beautiful song, it's a beautiful sermon, it's a beautiful picture, all of that rolled mm-hmm. into one. It's, uh, yeah, like yeah. I said last week, it's, it is a, a symbol on steroids. Right, or a sermon illustration <laughs> yeah. on steroids, yeah. yeah. And like we said last week, you know, that that cognition and the act of memorializing this thing, you know, that we're actively remembering, you know, so we, we kind of use those categories last week that when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you're looking backwards and inwards and upwards and outwards and forwards. The same thing happens when you're watching a baptism service, you know, this is what you can do is to think backwards, not just to your own baptism, although you should, is to think, I did the same thing. I was baptized with the mm-hmm. same baptism. Remember your own baptism. Yeah, you remember your own, but then you think back that that's really just the baptism of Christ, you know, right. into the grave. And then again, you think inwardly about your sins that were washed away. You think about, you know, Paul says that when we were baptized, we were raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah. What a promise of the the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our life and that 
baptism symbolizes that we do walk in holiness as a new right. person and, and just seeing somebody else get baptized is just a good reminder like yeah i'm in the in the new I'm life a new man i'm a new creation yeah. like yeah. they are and on and on you just think through you know you think forward to the resurrection that yeah. the 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 real resurrection that we'll all experience as we were united with christ in his resurrection that was just symbolized by coming up out of the water it's so powerful it, it, and it can be if we take the time to meditate on it yeah yeah absolutely so shifting gears just a little bit, let's talk about infant baptism. So uh, what is infant baptism? Um, do we baptize infants at, at our church? And why or why not? Well, we don't. Uh, we see it tied to expressions of faith. So we've kind of already implied a lot of this. Um, as the person publicly identifies with Christ, it's something volitional. It's something they mean to do. Uh, it's something they have already, in a sense, chosen to do, of course, because God has chosen them for it. But they've chosen Christ. They're pursuing him. They then publicly identify with him. Uh, we see that as the norm through the New Testament. Now, you do have some passages in Acts that speak of households being baptized. The Philippian jailer, he and his household were baptized. But in the majority of those household baptisms in Acts, we also find household belief. They believed and were baptized. So that would imply to me that, you know, we have within the household, um, those who are being baptized are also those who are believing. Yeah, there's an order to it. There's a belief leads to baptism. Yeah. yeah. You know, and people that, uh, that are advocates of infant baptism, which is a lot of Christians, you know, that we would believe are, yes. you know. And respect. Yeah, that we believe and respect. That we have had preach and teach here yeah, at our church. We've, we we've have had, good... Yeah, paedobaptist is the word. We've had good paedobaptists come here. Paedobaptist is... just pedo means infant or children, yeah. your child. So it's an infant baptism. Uh, and like what a are pediatrician. We? we would be called credobaptists, which means you have to believe to be baptized. Yeah, we believe that yeah. baptism is reserved for those that, that have faith. Um, but we would... This is an area where people... Uh, this, this is what we would call a second order issue on mm -hmm. the theological triage chart. So this is something that would separate one church from another church, but not believers from believers. Right. We're, we're very happy to fellowship with, with people that practice infant baptism. And those that do would point often to the correlation to circumcision in the Old Testament, that, um, that baby Jews were circumcised, and it was the circumcision that was a sign of their inclusion in the covenant. And they say uh, that baptism is the new covenant circumcision. Um, and I actually think that that's right. You know, that Paul mm. says in Colossians 2, uh, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, having been buried with him in baptism. So Paul connects baptism and circumcision, mm -hmm. but the, there's a huge difference in that. And this is, uh, this is the reason that I'm a Baptist, is that circumcision in the old covenant was connected to the first birth to your physical birth, yeah. but baptism is connected to the new birth, being yeah. born again. And so it is a kind of circumcision. It is a, a symbol that marks your entrance into the new covenant. But how do we get into the new covenant? It's not by being born to parents that are in the new covenant, as that's how it worked in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But in the new covenant, we enter into the covenant by being born again by faith. Yeah. And so it would make sense. Yeah, just like a baby Jew was baptized eight days after they were born into the covenant through the physical birth, a Christian is baptized soon after they're being born again into the new covenant. Yeah. The nature of the covenant has changed from old covenant to new. In the old covenant, you were in it by virtue of your physical birth. But the new covenant, as described in Jeremiah 31, is that 
those in this new covenant, they will all know me from the first to the last. No longer will a man in the covenant have to say to his brother, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So it's a different kind of covenant. Mm. It's a regenerate covenant, we could Mm. say, in the new covenant that wasn't there in the old covenant. People were regenerate in the old covenant, but there was Israel, and then there was Israel. There were those who were of Israel, and then there were those who were the Israel. And that distinction is broken down in the new covenant, and now we have one new thing of regenerate Christians. Those are the ones that receive the covenant sign. So by that you mean... In the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, there were Jews that believed or Israelites that believed and then some that didn't believe. Yeah. But that covenant wasn't marked by faith. It was marked by flesh. It was marked mm-hmm. by being a descendant of Jacob and being in that tribe. The new covenant is only those who have believed. It's those that, that have had their sins forgiven, that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there's so many implications for the church based on this that baptism kind of guards is that we, unlike our pay to Baptist brothers and sisters, think that the church is only comprised of believers. And that's mm-hmm. a big distinction. So yep. we would think that unbelieving children are not yet in the covenant community. And we right. want them to be, but we don't want to confuse what makes the church the church. Yeah. yeah. But Peter preaches in Acts 2, this promise is to you and your children, yeah. and our Pado baptist friends would want to pause right there and camp out on that. But Peter goes on, to you and to your children, as many as will believe. Yeah, yeah not that there isn't blessing for children in a believing household, mm-hmm. right? That they're around the gospel, they hear the gospel, and they have, they have access to the gospel that children of unbelieving households. Paul speaks have. of this in 1 Corinthians and says that um, a child is better off in a, a home of one believing parent than no believing parents because they're in close proximity mm. to the gospel. There is indeed benefit, mm. um, but it's not saving benefit yeah. unless there is saving faith. Everyone is saved the same way. You know, yeah. this is that when you talk to, to people that practice beta baptism, you'll actually find if you press them on it that they have two different theologies for baptism one yeah. one for infants and then yeah. one for adults yeah. you know that they don't indiscriminately baptize every adult and say that that person's in the covenant community yeah. with adults they actually agree with us that it needs mm-hmm. to be a believer that receives even if that adults parents happen to be christians yeah they would right. ju- yeah they, they wouldn't they weren't baptized as an infant you know yeah. or they're not going into hospitals and just baptizing people that are in a coma you know that mm-hmm. that there is a difference with how they think about children yeah. and even them they would say that this is more the extension of the covenant promises to them, the offer of the covenant promises to them. It doesn't guarantee that the covenant's going to be accepted. All of it, it just, you know, in my mind, that overcomplicates things, and it's yeah. not as faithful to the New Testament portrayal as baptism is for believers. It's yeah. the the new covenant circumcision for someone that's been born again by faith in Jesus. Amen. So what about young kids? Young kids who can uh, make a profession, and it can seem legitimate, um, well, how do we handle a baptism of a of a young kid, Ryan? Well, not every Christian family is going to handle it the same. I can speak to how we've handled it in our family. Um, we've encouraged our kids to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, to flee from the wrath to come, and we have done so from their very youngest ages. Uh, and they've expressed faith at various times um, in their childhood. And we've encouraged that. We haven't discouraged it. Uh, however, we haven't 
um, encouraged assurance until a later time, uh, our thinking was, in the New Testament, to become a Christian had some immediate test to it. Test, like, uh, are you going to choose parents or Jesus? Are you going to cling to old Judaism or Jesus? Uh, the, the Roman gods or Jesus? So adults and young uh you know, young men and women, um, children for that matter, would have that automatic test put before them. There would be threat for choosing Christ. Persecution was real. Um, in our American culture today, it's pretty easy for a young kid to be- to say that they believe in Jesus. In fact, everything in a Christian home should be kind of pro-Jesus. It yeah. shouldn't be, you know, a smorgasbord of various religious options laid yeah. before our children. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised that kids grow up being pro-Jesus, or they see people be baptized and they think, I want to do that too. There's nothing wrong with that. We can understand that. However, we waited until our kids were somewhere in teen years and there was a fork in the road put before them, Jesus or friends, Jesus or something else. Um, and then we were able to, we were able to you know, begin to discern the fruit of repentance. Yeah. Uh, and we use the the parable of the four soils so often because there are two of those soils that look promising at first. Uh, they begin to, you know, spring up and bear fruit. Um, but when persecution comes, well, it, it, it doesn't last. And when the, the heat comes, um, it doesn't last. And, uh, and so we want lasting faith in our kids. That's the only true saving faith. And so we withheld baptism for our kids until um, they were of that age where it seemed, well, not like we could know uh, infallibly, but we seemed to know genuinely and, and legitimately that this is the more than just predictable favor and interest in Jesus that this was the work of God. Yeah. And then when it gets to that point, it's not just like it's not up to an individual to say it's my my standard alone that proves that I'm saved. It's not up to parents either, you know. Mm-hmm. We will gladly take into consideration that a parent says, "Hey, my I think my kids really a believer. I'm seeing this fruit. They're going to have the the closest experience of that that child's faith." But we're not even going to just baptize someone because a parent says, "I think my kids Right, baptized because you can even imagine that there might be some uh, strange incentives involved in that. You know that they may have a hard time discerning, but just we're gonna we're gonna treat every Christian the way that we would treat any Christian, and so they're yeah. gonna meet yeah. with leaders in our church. They're gonna share their testimony. They're gonna be interviewed. They're gonna go through the membership class. They're gonna go through some instruction in baptism, and this is gonna be something that the church is handling, not right. something that just the parents are handling. Yeah, and though I'm a pastor in this church, I didn't do any of my children's baptism interviews. I was glad for another pastor to Absolutely. handle that. I wanted them to affirm what I thought I was seeing, and uh, I would have taken it seriously if they had said, yeah, I, I just don't see it. It doesn't seem to be um, genuine. Yeah. I would want to yeah. know that. Yeah, it seems like we could have another conversation about true conversion and an authentic profession of faith and how to determine whether that's there or not. Uh, but when we're talking about children uh, of believing households, um, it can be a challenge, um, like you said, Ryan, to to determine whether they're just going along with mom and dad and, and just they know all the right answers because they've just heard it so many times 
which is good. Or if it's true, uh, if it's true conversion, true faith. A great um, resource on this is a little book by Gunderson, Your Child's Profession of Faith. That's right. It started as a little booklet, and it's been expanded over the years. It's pretty much a book-length treatment now. But Your Child's Profession of Faith would help parents and kids think through, uh, what am I seeing? How long do we wait? How do we think about yeah. this? How do we approach it? And again, for for kids, for parents out there with your young kids, um, I think that there is real danger in rushing our kids to the baptismal waters and in baptizing a, an unregenerate unregenerate child. Um, I think that that can do real lasting harm yeah. uh, on that uh, on that child. I don't know if there's that many dangers in a Christian household to waiting. And like you said, wait and see. Let us yeah. let us wait and see if this is a true true conversion yeah, and because, real fruit. And we need to just keep our theology clear in this. You're not saved by baptism. Yeah. Your children are not saved by yeah. baptism. I think that was one of the reasons that infant baptism, we were talking about this before the podcast, that you know infant baptism really didn't even start as a major trend in church history until when, right? The end of the second century. Into the yeah. second century, at least according to a guy, Everett Ferguson, a good church historian who's written a book, Baptism in the Early Church, it's over 900 pages yeah. of really deep archaeological and old literature work. Yeah, and then it wasn't even the norm until the fifth century, right? Yeah. That it was... Uh, it wasn't mainstream know, till then. Yeah, it wasn't mainstream. And, and it seems like a lot of the reasons behind that was kind of an, a high infant mortality rate and this confusion about baptism as securing a baby for the kingdom. Yeah. And so parents would rush to get their children baptized just on the chance that they died, you know, but but we don't believe that. We yeah. don't believe that baptism is what guarantees you into the kingdom. We believe that it's God's grace. That's we right. believe that um, God saves us. We have faith in that. And so, yeah, rushing your kid to baptism is not securing anything for them. And to Drew, your point, it can just give them a false assurance, which can, which can you know, lots of people are going to hell who have been convinced that they're Christians. And that's one yeah. of the worst things that we can do to yeah. somebody. But we believe that uh, God has chosen beforehand those whom he's going to save. We pray that that's our own children, and, and we just patiently wait for that to, to bear fruit that we can be certain of and that we can affirm. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're a believer listening to this and you believe that you have uh, put your faith wholly and truly in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation, but you have not been baptized, then we would urge you to seek out a pastor, seek out a friend, seek out a leader in the church and discuss uh, being baptized and and uh, and displaying yeah. the gospel and what has taken place in your heart and mind um, and joining with the church. Yeah, Bobby Jameson has a, a longer book about baptism called Going Public, mm-hmm. um, where I heard somebody describe baptism as like wearing your wedding ring. You know, the wedding yeah. ring is not what makes you married, but it tells everybody that you're married. And we we have a category for a dude that's married and doesn't wear his wedding ring yeah. and it's called shady you know yeah. what where is your allegiance really why are you not comfortable proclaiming to the whole world that you're in this very important relationship that should be how we think about baptism that baptism is how you you make it official that you tell everybody this is who i am this is where my allegiances are this is the relationship that i'm in awesome well thanks guys Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, yeah, Chase. Thanks for talking yeah. about it. Glad to uh, continue to consider these things, uh, these beautiful signs that the Lord has given to his church and to his people. And glad for the question. If anybody else has questions, this was great for us to kind of right. jump into a topic that we felt like there was really 
a need to answer a, a that's question. Right. It's been good. So yep. please send us more questions. That's right. We're not mad about it. Well, you've been listening to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. If you have any questions or any suggestions uh, of topics for the pod, you can email that to info at dscabq.com. And uh, you can listen back and refer to some of the resources that we've mentioned here. Um, and you can reach out to us for further resources on Lord's Supper or baptism. Uh, but for now, on behalf of Chase, Ryan, myself, uh, let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Mm-hmm.